and welcome back to the fanfiction tapes. We are doing a new theme for the month of Mar the month of March, which is characters. Today's focus will be protagonists. Uh, I am joined by Dylan. Hello, I'm back again. Yes, hi. <laughs> hi, uh, I'm Badger. Uh, lovely to be here. And I am our producer, Ian. All right. Well, to start things off, um, I think it might be good to mention what exactly is a protagonist. Mm -hmm. For the most part, a protagonist is the main character of a work. That's about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Solid <Yeah>. explanation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, for me, uh, a, a protagonist kind of has to... Like, if we're just talking about definitions, and, like, I think everyone has a personal definition, but for me, it's it's a protagonist is someone who achieves two aims in a work, like, two basic general goals. Uh, the first being the person who drives the narrative forward uh, in terms of, like, we follow their journey. And the second is evoking sympathy from an audience, um, which is why we can play around with, like, heroes and villains and whatnot. Um so, like, that's kind of how I define them when I sit down to write or read something. It's just, like, who do I care about? And it's like, oh, this person. And they could be a piece of crap, but if they evoke sympathy from me and drive the plot forward, they're kind of the protagonist role, in, to me, anyway. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a pretty good summary. Badger probably puts it better than uh, I would have put it. <laughs> uh, and also brings up uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about is protagonist and antagonist versus hero and villain because mm -hmm. something that you see a lot especially with folks who are less familiar with writing or newer to the uh i don't want to say trade but the hobby mm -hmm. the practice is that there's a conflation between protagonist and hero and a conflation between antagonist and villain yeah big time um yeah i mean i think there, I think this is sort of like a casualty of the like very like like I think there's a tendency, especially with like written works, and especially in like fandom, where like protagonists there's like a bit of hero worship going on, and like folks focus on the protagonist they can relate to, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're like the good person in the story. Um, like uh, classic examples of this, I think from popular culture is like breaking bad like walter white is not a good person uh he is not someone that you um that is like upstanding in any way he's not someone who uh treats anyone fairly or with any like sort of like kindness but when he's trapped in a in a van and police are knocking at his door you're rooting for him to get out of that situation right like he's uh he's awful and he's a jerk but still the audience is like man i hope walter gets out of this one like <laughs> so it's um you can definitely have protagonists that have villainous motivations um and i think a lot of that has a lot to do with like how villains drive the plot a little bit more like villain protagonists i think have become really really popular lately uh, especially as as works have evolved and we've started to explore different kinds of avenues of writing and scripting and media um where because villains are inherently interesting in the sense that like they're usually proactive like a hero's reacting to what a villain does usually right like most fantasy stories are like oh man uh i sure hope that orc army that's attacking doesn't win and then the, it's up to the heroes to stop it it's like the the villain's pro action like sparks a reaction from the hero and like because the villain's doing a bad thing so sometimes it's like more interesting inherently to be like, what's this villain guy up to? Seems like he's like, you know, a mover and a shaker and interesting. <laughs> yeah, I am personally a big fan of villain protagonists. There is a um, series of original works it's on AO3 and Tumblr called Sinoverse um, mm. that has a villain protagonist that's done very, very well. It's also generally queer and great. <laughs> uh, on top of you know all the other things about it that i like it's also got a villain protagonist that is done very well they're not they're not a great person but they're the person 
and that narrative that I care the most about. Yeah, that's the key. Like, who you give a crap about is such a hard thing to define. Um, like, it's easier for the audience, but, like, I think it's a lot harder from, like, a writer's perspective being like, okay, this person's going to do seven out of the ten Geneva Convention crimes or whatever, and the goal is to make you like them. And then, like, but the A to B, like, what happens in the middle there is so crucial. Um, and there is a lot of folks who won't share that sentiment, right? Like, there are people who are hard-coded in terms of morale, their, their, like, personal moral code when they approach a work that, like, like, I have, I have people in my life who couldn't finish uh, The Wire or The Sopranos or, like, original works um, because they're like, ah, he just did too many, like, the, the main character did too many bad things. And it's like, yeah, that's totally fair. Um, but the trick of, like, I care a lot about this person is, like, so magic. It's so hard to yeah. pull off. Uh <laughs> um, I think there's something similar to that with, I haven't read this myself, but several of my friends are big. Uh, I was going to say War Thunder. <sighs> Not War Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> also, several of my friends, unfortunately for them, do play that game. War Thunder. Warhammer. Enjoyers. Yeah, Warhammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Warhammer's a huge example of it. And um, with Gaunt's Ghosts, uh, in terms of being like an example of good writing, mm -hmm. where the characters kind of have to do terrible shit all the time. Well, that's also just like that's that's the universe kind of asks. Yeah, that, that, that's Warhammer. Yeah, yeah, like so that's another thing that's like really important. Like, because if you're talking hero versus villain, and I apologize for how much I'm going to talk about this, because hero versus villain is something since I started writing as a hobby has always been like a, a discourse thing in every writing community I've been in. Right. Um, aside from the arcane fandom, which is like pretty actually a little bit there too, but we can cycle around on that, but. Um, so the question of hero versus villain is always like, hey, what is the universe asking, right? Because like it, in Warhammer, for example, which is a great example, um, war is happening constantly, which means like slaughter, wholesale slaughter of people is constantly ongoing. Every single space is designed with the, with the like optics of this will be a cool terrain for, to fight on, like constantly. Um, so when you talk about someone who's like, I've slain 10,000 men, it's like, right, that's a Tuesday in Warhammer. Like, meanwhile, yeah. if you go over to, like, say, um, Dresden Files, like, I've slain 10,000 men, like, that's a serious, serious, like, villain in that universe. Like, that's yeah. like, what the hell? Like, that's crazy because of the, the what the universe demands of the characters. Um, and, like, so... Tr sitting down to be like, you know, I want a protagonist or I want an antagonist. Like, the rules of the universe are, like, the step zero, basically. Like, what kind of story is this? And that's, like, the first... That's why, like, world building and buy-in is so important from readers. Like, you have to know, like, here are the defined rules of my universe and get people to buy in to uh, what you're selling, essentially, of, like... Yeah, so welcome to my world where everyone is a snake. Um, but this person is not a snake. He's a raccoon, and that he's a bad guy for that. And then the audience has to be like, in, got it. Snake's good, raccoon's bad, let's go. Um, and that like that has to be like the, the pillar that the hero versus antagonist thing needs to be built on, or hero versus villain, excuse me. Yeah, I think some of that comes up with superhero works, um, mm -hmm. with comics and with novels kind of set with a superhero setting which honestly i find it more interesting to have villain protagonists and hero antagonists for mm -hmm. superhero settings because then you are seeing someone who's challenging the status quo yes that's gonna be someone who i'm gonna just flat out care about more in general on a personal level but you don't have that one of the weaknesses for me of superhero media is you have your heroes who can do these incredible, tremendous things mm -hmm. and they're, they're enforcing the status quo. Yeah. There's, there's a, um, there's a lot of stuff like that. Like Lord of, Lord of the Rings, for instance, right. Um, 
So you have these, uh, you have the wizards. I'm actually super unlearned. I am not learned at all about Lord of the Rings. So if anyone here is, please correct me on this because I don't know all the terminology. But you don't have worry, like, I'm here to fact check you. Fantastic. <laughs> Ian, what are the, like Gandalf the Grey is a what? Um, He's Maya, a starry. Uh, well, okay, so there's... <laughs> You're not entirely wrong there, Maya. Um... <laughs> uh, I love this. I love the... Well, right. Okay, so there's... I love that phrase, eliciting that phrase anytime. All right, continue. All right, so the, the Astari is the elven word for, for wizards. So he's, okay. he's one of the five Astari, but he's also not human. His uh, species is Maiar, which is a lesser divinity in the cosmology of Lord of the Rings. Right. So so the reason, like, those are all powerful beings. Those are beings that can do whatever. They come and go as they please, right, famously in, in the text. Um, More or less, yeah. The reason why Saruman is a villain in that universe and the reason why he's intriguing is that he has objectively taken a side and his side is against the heroes, right? So you have Gandalf and you have Saruman and you have the, like, the flipping between the two of them and like they mirror each other um and it, it's it's uh there's a certain kind of like status quo pushing that a villain protagonist is able to do um and like the establishing the status quo is like there are these all-powerful beings um and each of them can influence the world in very specific ways but if if uh if one of them doesn't step up that becomes like that becomes the villainy in some ways. Like, Saruman's interested in keeping the status quo, which makes him a villain. Um, and uh, the status quo being, lol, orcs are coming. Um, another really, like, good example of, like, villain protagonists that are, like, changing things are, like, uh, oh, what, what's it called? Um, I don't actually know what the universe is, but, like, The Hunger Games... Is there a name for that universe, or is it just the Hunger Games? Everybody, the Hunger Games, yeah, yeah. Everybody just knows it as the Hunger Games. I do know that the country, the, the country that it it is, um, is that the name of the country in mm -hmm. the Hunger Games is Pan Am. Pan Am, that's yeah. such a okay. Uh, Pan Am, man. Pan Am as a name is is winning lately. Cyberpunk 2077. Anyway, um, so with uh, Panem, uh, so but yeah, oh, like the Hunger, oh. the Hunger Games. Oh, oh. No, sorry, I slightly mispronounced that. It's Panem. Panem. P okay. P A N E M. Right on. Um, but yeah, for the Hunger Games stuff, the reason why I think folks lost a little bit of like I, I know I've I've talked to a few people who are like Katniss lost me by the end of it. Um, because eventually Hunger Games devolved into like this like war criminal thing where it's like, all right, so now like massive innocents are getting slaughtered and you have the bomb dropped on a bunch of like medics. And as the series progressed, it started to go way more and more into like the horrors of war. Um, but like that's where Katniss started getting interesting to me is the third book. Um, because before that, it was sort of like cookie cutter kind of like person who's really, really good at one thing. Um, but right. when she, when she started dipping more into the, at any cost kind of mentality, that's when it was like a, Oh, like you're not, you're not the cut and dry hero. And that's so much more intriguing than like, I'm doing this for the good of all, like for the good of all, if you think about it is a terrible motivation because it implies that you have a view of what good is firstly. And secondly is like, who says you're the person to do that? Um, like it, it implies a self. It implies a lot of ego. Yeah, super right. Like super. It's like the sort of thing of like anyone you know who wants to be president has to be an ego maniac. Like it's that sort of like thing where it's like you think you're yeah. the best person for this job, you must be I mean, some sort of kind of yeah. kind of bringing it back around to Lord of the Rings. That's also kind of the villainous drive of Sauron. Yeah. Uh, he he base he's also a Maiar and uh, he goes down to Middle Earth and and looks around and says, "This is all really inefficient. I could do it better." <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like so, that's that sort of motiv motivation of like, um, this sucks. Let's change it. 
I think, well, first of all, for obvious reasons, that is like very, that resonates with a lot of us right now. Um, <laughs> Gee, I but like, why. Yeah, uh, but like most, more specifically, like that's, that's why villain protagonists whip. Um, and like, and when I say villain, I do mean like, as previously established, like villain in terms of your universe, whatever the universe is. Um, that's why they whip because they're like, yeah, I'm doing this for reasons that are way more personal than, well, you're hurting people. So, you know, like, it's like, why do you care about that is a really important question to ask in terms of a character thing. Like, why are you doing this? And if the answer is because it's the right thing to do. I'm a little less interested, but if it's because I have deep trauma, that's way more interesting. And sometimes deep trauma means that you don't react to things in a heroic way. Um, I think um, related to this, actually an antagonist, Luke from Percy Jackson. Walk me through it. Walk me through it. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Uh, Give it to me. Sing it are, to me. Are you familiar with it at all? Percy Jackson? Uh, I can tell you that because I went to film school, I've been getting Percy Jackson and Peter Jackson confused my entire life. So when we say Percy <laughs> Jackson, we're talking about like the, the gods young YA series. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. Roll with it. I know, I know what we're talking about now. Okay. Well, Luke is deeply traumatized. His mom goes insane when he's fairly young. Tough life, and tough life. his dad, Hermes, is absent father. And he takes a look at the system that he lives in. Because this sucks. I don't <laughs> like it. And does terrible, terrible, awful things to change the system. And he almost pulls in one of the uh, protagonists for the series, Annabeth. By tempting her with the, you're smart enough to think that you could do better. That you could design a better system than what exists for us already. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really dig that. Like, I, I, so for me personally, like, talking about, like, writing stuff from, like, as, as a amateur writer, um, the villain protagonist is something I've never really attempted, but I love seeing it. And I love seeing villains with good motivation. Um, like that, that Percy Jackson example just being like the exact sort of thing that I'm looking for in media. Um, because I think what attracts people a lot to, to media is human stories more than like for the yeah, good I of mean, all stories. I should be clear. Luke is not a protagonist. He's just oh, yeah. kind of has those themes. Um, no, absolutely. Like, but like, I think that the struggle of like two real people, like a, a real hero and a real villain or a real protagonist and a real antagonist and real in the sense of like relatable. Um, I think that's so much more attractive to an audience because like, first of all, you get the whole triumph over triumph over like invested in the struggle. Um, but right. also like it tickles the analytical brain. And I think that's what a lot of people like is just like, let's talk about why they did what they did. Um, like Joel from the last of us. There's another, that's another example of like a protagonist that um, I don't think, well, like, I don't person. think he fits the bill a hundred percent as villain protagonist because we're clearly on his side, but Joel uh, this is spoilers for the video game. I haven't watched a ton of the show yet. But Joel does a thing near the end of the game that by the <laughs> rules of the a universe thing. is not okay. Like, it is explicitly not okay what he does. The reasons why he do does it are super, super sympathetic. Like, you learn throughout the entire game why he makes the decisions he does. But, like, it's still, like, not okay by the end of it. And, like, people flipped on the character. And I think you're supposed to ask a lot of questions about, like, oh, man, like, did he have enough information to make that call? Was that a call that was his to make is a big one. Um, and we see the effects of it in the second game where, like, the answer was no. It wasn't his call. He didn't have enough information. And it sucked for a lot of people. Um, but, like... At the end of the day, like, I still care about Joel. Like, I care about what he does, and it, it's, it's awful what happens to him down the line. Um, 
And like, that's the sort of thing that like, I'm really invested in where it's just like, if you can make me do that, if you can make me really, really like a character and then make me go, Oh, like the, the like disappointed. Oh, at the end, like I felt, I felt like his father where I was just kind of like, I'm just, I'm not mad. I'm just super disappointed that you've made oh, this decision. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dr. Remind me how much of Brandon Sanderson's Stormont archives have you read? Zero. He he shares oh. a very similar name to me, and I take that very personally. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I there is totally something that by those terms you will love in the Stormlight Archives. Actually, also in Mistborn. He he is amazing. Like, uh, just n not to make this like Brandon Sanderson gush hour. Like, I don't, <laughs> and I'm also not talking about the man more like the author is like his writing speed is like, it's insane it's, oh, yeah. it's like an elevated being like it's truly like whoa uh yeah nutty truly nutty yeah brandon sanderson gush hour is scheduled for the end of april by the way oh fantastic i'll have to i i, I mean i don't think i'll read one of his by then but i'll have to bone up a little bit more <laughs> to to like to like uh, appreciate april a little bit better so, so just as someone who comes from a different school of, you know, novel, big mm -hmm. George R. R. Martin fan, I think that along the same lines as Joel, there is oh god, yes, Tyrion Lannister. Big, big, big. Mm -hmm. Now, show Tyrion Lannister is a terrible character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because... Sorry, sorry, I am laughing because I agree with you. To be clear, I just wasn't expecting it. All right, yeah. <laughs> it's completely true. His entire purpose ends after four seasons, mm -hmm. and he's just along for the ride. And to take out. <laughs> he's there to make sure. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah. But the great thing about Tyrion is, from the start of book two, even stuffing book one, he's a terrible person, and you realize that. But... You don't like the other mm -hmm. people around him more. So, and he does a few nice things. But the problem is that you realize, if you look more into it, these nice things are just to make himself feel good and feel superior mm -hmm. to the people around him. And then eventually, he goes off the deep end, and he's a terrible person. And he makes, he convinces other people to do terrible things for the sake of his revenge on his family yeah that he hates go on continue. and the, I'm, I'm, you're cooking and the great thing is you also have his brother jamie lannister who's the complete opposite who you start out hating and over time through his story you begin to like a lot more and sympathize with what he has to go through and the situation he was faced in and i just think that's the brilliant of writing but Tyrion especially after book three and going into A Dance with Dragons, that book, he he does everything pretty much I, wrong. I love <laughs> that you brought it up, too, because, like, so when we're talking about villain protagonists versus versus hero protagonists, and I think we've, we've given a lot of love yeah. to villain protagonists here um, throughout this, but Jamie Lannister specifically is a great example of, like, context and what, like... So as as Dylan alluded to, like Jamie is a character who um, you loathe, like despise. His first act is to cripple a child. So it's sort of like, oh, all right. So we're starting from a pretty high bar here. Um, but like he is someone you loathe, who the characters in the story loathe, who the character POVs we see loathe him for decisions he's made. Um, and then by the time you get deeper into his story, you you realize the context for the decisions he made them in are outright heroic. Like they are not black and white. They're like he did this literally because it something awful was about to happen, um, and that made everyone hate him. And he just kind of wears that. Like a lot of his his outward persona is leaning into this character that everyone hates. Like because it's kind of like yeah, all right, whatever. If you're gonna revile me for my finest act, I'm just gonna act like a dick all the time. Um, and then he slowly starts to cure that 
that mentality. Also, Jamie is also terrible in the show. Like, man, both both Lannister brothers really tanked in the oh. show version of that yeah. story. Like, oh, Dylan, remind me. Uh, there's I I remember the show better than the books at this point. Um, but back in the f- first season, when they still actually had book to write that they were still still hewing pretty close to the book did did Tyrion have that whole wear it like armor and it can't be used against you line uh yes that's book? uh i know book? that's in the show it, okay. uh i haven't read a game of thrones in a long time but uh likely yeah but he, he has a lot of <laughs> Tyrion says a lot of things Tyrion has the yeah. most chapters of any character so remember every Tyrion quote very difficult uh but what I, I will say, uh, both and both characters, they're brothers, so it's, mm-hmm. and you can also see, like, there's only, like, one sort of period of time, and there's a very small period in book three where you see the two of them together before they branch out and sort of the, their arcs cross at, at a moment, and it's because Jamie finally tells uh, Tyrion a very important piece of information. And that information is what pushes Tyrion down his bad road. Well, <laughs> Jamie feels the consequences of telling Tyrion that. But also, pretty much over the next, you know, book, tries to make himself a better person. And- also... Just to answer that question real quick, yes, it is said in the book. It's like a John chapter, where Tyrion's like, wear it like armor, or armor yourself in it. They changed the quote slightly. Sorry, Dylan, continue. Yeah, uh, and just, I think Ice and Fire is, like, a perfect story to look at things within the context of, (laughs) you you have to make a chart, you know, (laughs) of who is actually presented as a good person and is a good person and you know like i think john is probably the best person who is presented as a good person mm-hmm. but then you have characters like victorian who's a big idiot and a terrible person but you love <laughs> him because he's entertaining uh and like i just feel like a lot of those characters and their stories, characters like Catelyn. Catelyn's a decent person. <laughs> but then you get to after book three and the, what she becomes, that's frightening. Arya, this little girl who's had a terrible thing after terrible thing happen to her, becomes a, a killer obsessed with revenge, you know? And... These are characters who are presented as the protagonists in their story, but they're terrible people and doing terrible things. Yeah. I think Game of Thrones, the TV show, tried to do, you know, sort of the Daenerys story, mm-hmm. but it's completely, once again, completely terrible. Awful. Dinky. Yeah, I think I think there's, there's a fundamental... Um disconnect between what the books are doing and what the show tried to do um mm-hmm. in that uh the song of ice and fire book series is if you look at it from like the the point of view of characters there's multiple stories and multiple protagonists and because of that some of those protagonists end up being the antagonists of other stories that are still within this sort of meta story of Westeros. But that type of storytelling doesn't translate well to primetime television where there's a lot of incentive to have a story about a sort of classical hero. And that's how you end up with the story of John and Daenerys by season eight. Yeah, I think <sighs> there's, I mean, I think the show's biggest problem is that it didn't respect its audience's intelligence very much. Um, because I think there's a great way of doing exactly that, Ian. Um, but you have to, like, you have to be really careful with how it's written. 
and you have to trust that your audience is just going to get it. And yeah. it, I don't think that either of those things were done by like season five, it's out the window. It's off the rails. Like it's, I think four, it starts to get shaky. And then by five, it's like, well, the roller coaster's in the air. We are screwed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. This is also, I think an excellent segue point talking about having multiple protagonists and kind of some of what that's called. Uh, one of the shows recently, well, recently air quotes that uh, took my mind by storm was arcane which is an ad adaptation of league of legends it it had no right to be this good no it really should didn't I, should i should i check it out i've heard a lot of good things oh, okay you, definitely you don't need to know anything about league of legends i've never played league of legends i know nothing about league of legends lore arcane is gorgeous and a great story go watch it <laughs> Hell yeah. Goddamn right it is. Oh, man. Uh, the arcane is one of those things that, like, as soon as it, like, seeps into your brain, like, it, it, like, takes up all the crevices of it and just, like, for a period of time, depending on how, how, uh, <laughs> I mean, in my experience, how neurodivergent you are, uh, it could, it could possess your brain for, like, up to a year afterwards. Um, uh, I think we're well past a year at this point. <laughs> yeah, Maya, well past. Maya still has Kate Vi rotating rapidly in her brain. So yes, my, I I do have to confess that was a joke uh, because I've just I'm I'm almost done like a two hundred and thirty thousand word fanfic about Arcane. Um, well, about hockey. What if they? That... What if hockey? <laughs> so it, um okay that I, may have am... that may have been a joke i forgot that you <laughs> have written a lot in the arcane fan fiction a, a my lot, response yeah. my response was serious <laughs> to be clear anyone sure. out there listening to us who has not <laughs> seen sure. arcane go At watch mom. it <laughs> yeah it it rules um arcane oh my god so the thing that arcane does so well i think is juggling a cast of like 15 plus and Something of those like yeah yeah of those is probably like six or seven that you could label at any one point as like the main protagonist of a moment like it breaks itself up into like six or seven minute sequences and each one is like this is who the main character is here um i've heard the argument that you can actually like like especially the third act does this a lot where it goes like jace to caitlin to to vi to to jinx at certain points um silco gets a big moment in the third act um then you have like mel and you have uh, victor and you have you have all these characters that it like flips between rapidly echo um and all of them have their own point of view on the world the universe's rules are established super super early and then it's like go and they really were super invested in telling this multiple point of view story um and what i love so much about it is that you can come away from it having with a lot of thoughts like there's there are folks that who are Many like thoughts yeah like there are folks who are like jace is terrible um which you know respect to anyone who who dislikes jace uh i understand the reasons why for me personally, uh, he didn't get interesting until he looked at Silco and said, we both have our shitty roles to play. That was the moment where I was like, ooh, I'm in. This guy actually like won this encounter with Silco, uh, but he didn't even barter. Um, but like, yeah, like there's this whole like ecosystem of like who I care about flips so rapidly. And it, it's the sort of thing where you can just study it in the lab, like spread its ribs open and be like, what? what have you done here to me specifically <laughs> um, yes it is yeah. it is very well done the character writing for folks who are starting out writing and you want to you and character writing is something you want to do look at arcane because the characters in arcane feel very real uh and they stick in your head forever and if that's something you want to do, I would I would advise at least watching Arcane. If not trying to break down what it does for yourself and understand some of the choices they make. They they do so much showing without telling. Like they really do. Um 
I think one of the key examples, like the thing that I keyed in on, the the, the moment where I was like, I gotta write something about this, um, is midway through the second act, there's a character who has a item that defines her. Um, the show goes through great lengths to establish what this item means to her. She brags about it. She is shown to be very, very effective when using it. Um, and it's sort of like, it's constantly there. This threat of, of her, the character's like power comes from this item. And there's a point where the show, the, the storyline goes, someone you care about is hurt. You need to trade this item for her. She has one option. They don't even say it that way. They're just like, yeah, I need something for trade. I need money or something. She has one item of value and it's this item. So she trades it. Um, and in that moment, the show tells you how much she cares about this person, which is a lot. Um, what this means to her personally to give this up. And like all the show and the show communicates this in three seconds. She takes it off, she looks at it, and then she hands it over. And it's this that was the moment where I was like, I gotta go. Right. I got to go to a laptop or something. Um, and like, it is so powerful to how much a glance can do. But anyways, as an aside, that's not, we're not, we're not doing a character study on arcade as much as I could talk about it. Um, the, with, with, when it comes to protagonists and multiple POVs, I've found the best way of going into it is what I like to call pillar work. It's really, really important uh, in running multiple NPCs in a D&D game too, which is like something that I like to do. Uh, and basically, you build pillars and say, this character has this thing. Um, like, this character is really, really into crabs. Uh, everything they do is to increase the crab's political power. And this other person, they're really into uh, making swords. And the sword thing is like, every conversation they're in, they're thinking about how to steer it back to swords. Um, and so what I like to do with, with these pillars is I like to say, like, it's like a three-step three flowchart, like, can I get the conversation back to swords is one. Uh, two would be like, I really hope my dad is proud of me. And the third one can be like a vague, like general thing of like, I really don't trust boats. And like those three things, you can just carry those through the story and you'll be surprised by how much the story wraps around to them. Um, every sequence you write with them can be an opportunity to reinforce or reestablish the pillars of what makes up their personality. Um, and as you write something, as you write the universe and establish the rules of the universe, you can always go back to them and edit them and change them as they get more or less screen time, um, quote unquote, which is like the thing about writing that I think is, gets lost. And when folks ask for advice on it, it's, it's really tough to advise in terms of character work because you just got to spend time with them. And having multiple ones and having like an equal screen time, you're never gonna quite get there, in my opinion. Like, as Dylan mentioned way back, like Tyrion has far and away the most chapters in Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is still a very, very in-depth and big multi-POV kind of sequence. But like there are gonna be characters that a writer likes more, might write writes less, and that's okay. Uh don't limit yourself to uh dividing chapters equally don't limit yourself to like i haven't had an x scene in a while if you want to write that scene with this person as a pov person do it if it feels right do it but for the most part like you've got to kind of like feel it out feel what feels right for you what right what feels right for the story what feels right for the mission statement and then um push into it if you want to write a multi-pov story multiple protagonist story um yeah uh kind of related to something you said with character writing is mm -hmm spending time with the characters and that's how you kind of get better with it which i don't do a lot of original writing um mm -hmm. almost everything i do i do with blurbos that have been spinning in my brain for <laughs> at least a few months if not several years at that point mm -hmm. um and uh with D D, kind of is my most experience with this I usually have to play a character for five to six sessions before I even have a complete idea of some of their character parts. Like, I'll, I'll mechanically know how they work, you know, I'll know what class I want to play, I'll know what abilities I want to play, but I don't know who they are, necessarily. I, I usually go into D&D games with a fairly minimal backstory, because I just, I don't know them yet, and then... 
when I spend a little bit more time with them, I discover, oh, this person's, they might have, like, skills at being people person, but they're too lazy to ever actually people. Right. Right. Like, as, as like, a side note of that, like, same thing with, like, so, all right, what I'm, I think what I'm most known for at this point is Run of the Cup, which is, like, my big Probably. arcane fanfic thing. Um, and a lot of, since it's wrapping, I've gotten a lot of questions about, like, you know, how to do the multi-character thing. And my delete key is my best friend in a lot of ways like that, because, like, there are so many sequences that you just sit down and you just write, and, like, the sequence could be awful. Like, the the writing bit, the paragraph could be terrible. Um, and I always akin that, those things, because obviously they don't make the cut, they get deleted. But it's sort of like practicing your character voice in your shower before a session, you know? Like, it's like you're you're trying to work out how they talk, how they move, how they interact with specific people. Like, the amount of times I've figured out at the table how a, a core character trait because another player said something to me, and I had a reaction in the moment of, like, whatever. I, I don't understand how the word procreation, say, for instance. Um, so the character was like, I don't know what that is. Is that, like, when a professional makes a sword? And having the other character have to explain it to you, and you just be like, ah, this is who this character is. They're incredibly stupid but only when it comes to words that are more than two syllables. So making those rules for yourself at a D&D table is the same sort of thing with writing in that like you find out those rules for writing the characters as they live in your world. Um, the, in terms of perspective switches, um, I know that a lot of people like to get cute with it in terms of like this character will never say this word or doesn't use contractions or whatever. Um, and I think that really helps, too. Like, I think it's like a beginner step in terms of, like, uh, this person says ain't instead of is not. Um, is a really good way of, like, a character voice in D&D or, like, um, a physical object that a lot of people use to, to get into character. Like, a friend of mine, when they're playing their character, they always act like they have a cigarette in, in their fingers to get into character. Like, props really, really work well. Um, but like choosing a language style is a really, really quick and efficient way of being like, I'm in this person's head. It's like a trigger where you just like, ha I am here. I'm writing Jace or whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, the original character ticks are so much fun to talk about. Like the idea of like sitting at a table with a bunch of improv artists and being like, I've decided that my character is terrified of birds and your character has an owl and that's going to be our the basis of our interaction <laughs> for the next six hours. <laughs> I find it really funny, Badger, how for parts of the D&D game that I've started running, you've just seen parts of it without having any idea of what's going on. <laughs> There's I mean, been a few things in this conversation where you've just mentioned something that happened in game. I, well, like what's hilarious is that like, I actually don't and have any idea. And um, that's just real basic, like D and D stuff. Like I used to run public tables for a while and the yeah. bird, the bird scenario specifically is like, I was alarmed. It was one of those things where it was like, if I had a nickel for every time a character mentioned that they were afraid of birds, I'd have three nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird it's that weird it happened happen three that. times uh, <laughs> <laughs> across three different tables. It's like, what is happening? And like specific examples, like, oh, they can drill into your brain. It's like, is this on Twitter? Where are you guys getting this from? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I, I have one of my characters that I play um, is a barbarian. She's suspicious not entirely bright uh classic and she is afraid of elves she thinks elves can see inside her brain that's why i <laughs> mentioned it <laughs> and we have like i think two half elves in the party for that game so they can only read like surface thoughts how does that happen uh, how, does that, how does that work oh she, she just refuses to look them in the eye she, she's oh. <laughs> she's entirely wrong that's amazing um, but, well, okay, she only refuses to look one of them in the eye. The other one, she's known for a long time, and she only won't look him in the eye when she's scared, because she's afraid of her, she's ashamed of her thoughts. She doesn't want to be seen kind of as weak. 
And it's been really fun with that game to work out, okay, yeah. I have to, you know, I'm not looking at anyone right now, because I'm scared shitless. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's amazingly applicable. Um, Like, uh, a couple of characters in, in the, the piece I'm writing now, like, I've decided, like, one of them, the entirety of their character is they eat a sandwich before every game. That is the entirety of their character. Like, that's the bedrock on which, the, the pillar on which they are founded. It's like, what kind of person would eat a really messy, disgusting hoagie before every professional game? Uh, and, and then, yeah, it just, like, here is the entirety of, the, uh, of their character based around this one thing. The other one is, like, a character that sings to themselves under their breath uh, during high-stakes moments. Like, who, what does that character look like? Are they unhinged? That sort of thing. So... Yes, doing multiple POVs, writing protagonists is so um, dependent on like a creative process that like just resolve like resolves itself when you spend time with them. Um, when you spend time writing scenes, they could be garbage scenes about adopting dogs that will never make it to the work, or they could be like the most intense emotional scenes that push the that work forwards. Either way, you just you just got to put the work in. Like, there's no shortcut, unfortunately to writing a good protagonist especially if you're switching multiple povs you just you just gotta gotta sit with them for a while gotta uh, see how they feel about certain things um, the technique and, that uh i'm a fan of to get in character uh will always be just making a playlist and listening to 15 of those songs <laughs> yeah big time oh yeah i i have playlists for certain stuff i write where it could be totally unrelated to the actual vibes of the work, but I'm gonna listen to Dagoth Wave 15 times to write this section. Yep. Yeah. Uh, action sequences work, too. I mean, I'll hold that for if there's ever an action sequence episode. I'd love to be on that. <laughs> but the, uh, the, the, um, the, the music to motivate is so, so crucial. Uh, character playlists are very, very popular. I, I, I really subscribe to that. Um, for me, like a, a trick I always use too is like writing a sentence that describes the current mental state, like having that be the opener to your to your scene. And again, it doesn't have to stay in. Like that that never has to stay into your work. Like that's just for you. Like, hey, it's really embarrassing when this thing happens, and then that sets the entirety of the emotional spectrum for that character and also lets the audience know hey we're in someone else's head right now um and both of those are really really important to flip back and forth um and yeah all right we uh we kind of jumped the gun a little bit by going into advice for writing protagonists. oh sorry <laughs> i mean it's I great mean, it's yeah content is content um <laughs> And so now I guess I'd kind of like to sh shift topic a little bit into protagonists that we like, stuff we enjoy, stuff we think is done well, which aren't necessarily always the same thing. Mm. Uh, I'll start yeah. us ranting on this. Uh, the protagonists I like uh, are the three Xenoblade ones. Oh, yeah. That's all I got to say. No more statement. I like my... Boys who have a hobby and go and save the world <laughs> with their magical sword that, uh, in the second cases, also is a girl. <laughs> I, yeah, I love that. I, I, I'll, I'll tell you a character that I, ha I love to hate, which I think is sort of what we're talking about, like a protagonist that we love to hate, is, um, I'm forgetting, I'm blanking on the guy's name right now, but I'm going to describe it. He's from Vermintide. Uh, Ooh, I've, I've played that game. Yeah. Ba, 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 da, ba, ba. Victor. Victor Salzmeier. So Victor is a character who is super into his emperor, believes he is a god, which I believe most Warhammer universe folks do. Um, and everything he says and does is started with the phrase blessed sigma and i loathe him but i love him at the same time like he's like he is not a good person he's awful he's pious he is rude 
He's super, super judgmental of people, and he's written so consistently that you can't help but enjoy his presence. Um, and it's done with, like, it's specifically interesting because it's done uh, only in, like, prompts. Like, when your character heals itself, he says this. Um, which is, like, really, really good ways of, like, conveying a character very, very quickly. So that that's my shout-out for this one, like, in terms of protagonists that I think are really, really well done. But I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't ever interact with the human <laughs> ever. <laughs> um, but I think he's really, really well done. Yeah, a big one for me. This is going to come to no shocker to Ian Dillon and anyone else who's listened to more than one episode. Harry Dresden from the Dresden Files. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you read he Dresden is... too? <laughs> What what is he dressed in? Sorry, who are we talking about? <laughs> no, and go in on, this go case, on. Harry is genuinely he's generally a pretty good person. He's made some bad calls, um, but I would say he's made them mostly for the right reasons. And he's he's just fun for me. He's he's snarky to power, which I love. I love that. Um, and he, he's fun and nerdy. I'm pretty basic on what I will enjoy, and Dresden ticks a lot of those boxes for me. Fun and dirt, nerdy is so, so mm-hmm. key. Yeah. And uh, speaking of snarky, um, <laughs> I think my, and also speaking of multiple protagonists, um, I think my favorite of... Um, and I'm going to carbon date myself here. Uh, my favorite Animorphs protagonist. Oh, um, let's go. Was, yeah. Animorphs, yeah. Uh, oh, let's Marco. Go. Yeah, Marco. baby. I was hoping you'd say Marco. Let's go. I love Animorphs. Sorry, continue. Yeah, so first up, first off, uh, pick the gorilla as battle morph. Best mm. animal. Yes, don't at me. Strongest animal. Yeah, we love it. Yep. yep. Has opposable thumbs. Anyways, uh, but yeah, the 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 way that he is snarky in the face of danger, um, but also uh, I currently am using a paraphrase of his quote, um, his definition of ruthlessness. Um, that that is something that has been stuck in my brain for oh twenty plus years now. Um, ruthlessness isn't about cruelty it's about seeing the bright clear line that leads from point A to point B and not caring about anything but the perfect beauty of it yeah that is wow that is a hell of a quote also I love the fact that like this is just Marco in general but I love the fact Mm -hmm. that of everyone's battle morphs he's like nah man I gotta use doors that's important to me. Uh, like, just, like, the, the fact that he's, like, snarky and, like, devil may care on the surface, but also he has bangers like that and has, like, the most efficient battle morph says a lot about his character mm-hmm. while saying mm-hmm. nothing at all. Uh, and, like, that, yeah, he's just so well done. Um, I was going to say Axe is also a very, very high favorite of mine, too, from the same series. Oh, like, Axe, is, Axe is excellent. I think, yeah. I mean, I would say that my second favorite is actually Rachel. Rachel's but, a great pick. Yeah. She comes She comes at the idea of doors from a different direction. Uh, Marco... <laughs> I can still open them. <laughs> Just, you know, there will be Can't no door when I'm not. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't function as a door. It's more of a way at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah Axe Axe is me, an excellent character Yeah for me it's well. like The way that that series The series has its flaws don't get me wrong um, But the The way that they convey Axe's character As like just little things Like he doesn't understand how how like Store shelves work like he doesn't get it and like there's little punctuations of like oh this creature is an alien like this is not someone who understands human interaction on any level doesn't communicate mm-hmm. with his mouth 
So it's there's, like yeah, there's there's lots of moments of that. Some of some of which are small and subtle, and some of which are not. The the like, the, the way the way <laughs> like. His his species naturally doesn't have mouths. They communicate telepathically. So whenever he's in human morph and speaks, he's got these constant ticks where he just gets obsessed with playing with the with the sounds. Mm-hmm. And so like that's that's like less subtle than some of his stuff. Like when he accidentally starts talking about like advanced uh, theoretical physics, but. <laughs> it's more subtle than how obsessed he gets with the sense of taste. And yeah. like they literally have to drag him away from eating cigarette butts. The <laughs> there's a great moment. It's actually in the Andalite Chronicles, it's not in the main series, but the mm-hmm. great moment of the Andalites in general, which is Axis species, that really like solidified them is when two human characters take off their shoes and the Andalites uh-huh, are horrified. Uh-huh. Cause they have hooves. Like, Elfanger seen... thinks he's thinks she's about to rip off her hoofs. Yeah, rip off her feet. He's like, "What are you doing? Stop it!" Um, yeah, like that sort of stuff is just the best part of protagonists like writing. Just like I'm about to tell you something core to their personality, and it's on you to notice it. Like we we talked a little bit about. Uh, I think this is actually off recording it might have been on recording i don't remember but uh respecting your audience um stepping on advice for writing protagonists again a little bit sorry but um (laughs) respect that your audience is gonna get it because in my experience it's so so rewarding for people to figure it out and the people who don't figure it out don't matter and what i mean by that is um foreshadow put little nuggets bury your gold like legitimately bury your gold because digging up treasure is fun for an audience so bury your gold as everywhere and let them dig it up let them come to you with the work um there is no character tick that is too subtle in the sense that if you're conveying it and you believe it's true then don't spell it out for people like have characters avoid drinking um like, Grand Theft Auto 4 had a great character tick where Nico, the main character, just subtly turned down alcohol every cutscene. Like, someone would offer him a beer, and he'd just kind of say, no, no, thanks. Did it matter in the, in the core story? No. It didn't matter at all that he was – but, like, every answer to the question of why he's doing that made him more interesting as a character. Um is he sober? Does he just, does he always want to be on his A game because every cutscene is about business to him? Like there are all these all these reasons that the audience can fill in the blank for, and that's not something that sixty percent of the the uh, player base will notice. But it doesn't matter because the people who do notice it treasure it. They like cherish it, and like when you're writing a protagonist, fill it with that stuff. Don't explain yourself all the time. Just be like this person opens doors with their left hand and the left hand only. And the people who will notice that will be like, why? And that becomes a moment, a watershed moment, where they like understand the character a little bit better. Sorry. Anyway, Speaking that... of burying your gold uh, and with respect to telling stories with protagonists, Brandon Sanderson and Tamsin Moore, uh, people <laughs> we talk about a lot on this show because we are very normal. <laughs> very both do this to phenomenal degrees. Gideon, uh, the main character of Gideon the Ninth, arguably the main character, the perspective character. The, she, is, she, the would, she is the, ma- the main protagonist in Gideon the Ninth, for yes. sure. Yes. Um, she is a really excellent example of a lot of this. There is stuff we find, we don't find out until much later in the series that is pretty well foreshadowed scene one. Yeah. Uh, Badger, I believe you've came across some of it. Oh, yeah. Like, Gideon is a phenomenal character writing. So for the folks at home, I've I've read exactly 50% of Gideon the Ninth. Uh, I fell off of it because I started writing a lot, and when I'm writing, I find that reading hurts a lot of like because i start trying to ape stuff and i I try to like like a field of snow you know i'm hardcore anyway um that that's me being sarcastic um but her 
entirety of her character being like, I'm going to joke about everything because it hurts too much to take anything seriously is so well done because like throughout the entirety of the first half of the book is there's all these questions of like, Hey, why don't you just kill her? Like, <laughs> and that's like the, the, the whole thing of like, I am so intrigued to know the answer. And like, I think it like, you know, I have my guesses in that, like, they care very, very deeply for each other. But, like, the basis of their relationship being Gideon being like, I could snap you like a twig at your weakest moment. Um, there, in fact, a lot of the writing is built around how good Gideon is at snapping people like twigs and how huge she is and how competent she is in terms of combat. Um, but she doesn't. All she does is hurt her with words. And it's like, this is such an interesting uh, character choice that is throughout the entirety of the book and at no point does Gideon says, say, I don't attack her because of blank. Like, that never happens. Uh, instead, it's just like the author just kind of showing you in little ways uh, that Gideon gives a shit. Even though Gideon says outright, I don't give a shit. Um, and that's so well done. Like, so well done. There's a quote I would use, but that would be the third time it has used up my singular F-bomb allotment for an episode. <laughs> uh, Do you want me to read it? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we'll distribute the wealth a little bit here. Uh, <laughs> uh, as, as we're coming to like the end, I just want to give a big shout out to some of my favorite uh, manga and anime uh, protagonists. Uh, so there's Thorfinn from Vinland Saga. I think it's a great oh. character journey. Oh, and man. it's such a fantastic story. Uh, I'm so... I was... Uh, so I just saw the first episode of season two when it came out, and I decided I'm going to read the entire manga. <laughs> and I caught up. And I thought that story is just amazing. Uh, other ones would be Senku from Dr. Stone. I'm not spoiling myself, but I've loved two seasons and a special I've watched. Uh, one of my favorite Senku things is... Uh, he was asked uh, a philosophy question of you, your best friend, and your lover in a car crash, who do you save? And he said, I'd find a way to save everyone. And that's his character completely. And finally, Denji from Chainsaw Man. <laughs> when every woman you meet wants to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> The relatable story. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can see why Hounds likes it. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh. Um. Do we have anything in the mailbag, Ian? Not yet. Um. If you have anything that you would like us to uh talk about or read, uh, you can give us an email at fanfictapes at gmail dot com. Uh, I believe we also have a Twitter, Maya. Yes, at FanFictionTapes on Twitter. Also, if you use the hashtag TheFanFictionTapes when responding to something like the prompt I'm about to give in 30 seconds or so, uh, we might read that, and if we like it, we'll feature it on the show. So what is that prompt? The prompt is a little bit of a treat for me. Tell us a story with a villain protagonist. Ooh. You know, it's up to you to figure out why they're the villain and what makes them someone we want to follow, what... Why are they driving the story? But just kind of bit of a prompt and a challenge. I know a lot of people tend to write protagonists that are more classically heroes. Nice. Well, if you uh, if you uh, write anything with that, yeah, send it to us on Twitter or on our Gmail account. Um, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you listen to us there. Uh, that, I think, is our word count for this week. I do have one more thing. Oh, Dylan, oh. go ahead. So Maya, continuing on from last week, I want to confront Badger. Maya won't tell me. Uh, Maya has I was told gonna, me. I was going to lead with this. I'm so sorry, Dylan. Uh, Maya <laughs> has told me that my name, Dylan, has some infamy in the Arcane community. <laughs> What do you have to do with this? I did it. I'm the one who started it. Uh, so, hey, 
Dylan, I'm sorry for any <laughs> arcane fandom readers who throw unneeded hate on your name. Uh, I was going to do this in the intro, but I forgot. So the character of Dylan uh, was a – I sat down to write a, a fan fiction, and I was like, I need a name for a villain. What name for this villain can I come up with? And then my monkey brain went, Dylan. Because it rhymes with villain. And that started a revolution of <laughs> it started a revolution of a bunch of fanfic authors who who liked my stuff and were like, can I use your Dylan in my in my uh fic as a villain? And I thought to myself, okay. And so I was like, yeah, sure. You know, you know what? Dylan is open access. Anyone can access Dylan. And so that has resulted in the Dylan bracket League of Legends closed bracket tag on AO3. Um, Dylan is not a, a League of Legends character, but uh, boy, howdy, did that spiral out of control. So now that I've actually met a Dylan, I am sorry for everything I've done. I can't stop it at this point. It's it's over. Um, but yeah, <laughs> my bad. You have to yeah. <laughs> repair the reputation of my name. Apparently, repent. I, it. Repent. I, I just finished writing a thing about villain, Dylan being another villain. I'll fix it somehow. Yes. <laughs> I'll fix you it. Will. Will. Uh, maybe you can write a uh, villain protagonist story this week starring Dylan. Oh. <laughs> maybe I can do that. Dylan the person, the not prompt. even the name. And uh, that reminds me, uh, Badger, where can people find you and your work on the internet? Uh, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at the homely badger um you can also find me on ao3 under the same name the homely badger if you like lesbians punching things that's my bread and butter if you don't like that well there's not a lot of other stuff so you know rip i guess <laughs> you can see why i like his writing yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh we're about out of time so uh i have been ian I have been Maya. I have been Dylan. <laughs> and I've been sorry. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. Bye. <laughs>